Tottenham and Chelsea have never really liked each other. Back in 1910, Spurs beat Chelsea to send the Blues down and keep Tottenham up. The 1967 FA Cup final, the first between London sides, Spurs won with over 100,000 fans packed into Wembley. And who can forget the infamous battle of Stamford Bridge in 2016, a brutal 2-2 draw that ended Tottenham's title hopes and brought a slew of yellow cards and FA charges. On Monday night, they'll do battle again, but this time Tottenham are top of the league. Chelsea are stuck in mid-table. Oh, and Mauricio Pochettino's going back to Spurs. What could possibly go wrong? I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. No violent clashes among my top tipping team, at least not yet. Starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark, a 14-point gap has already opened up between these sides, and that really is quite remarkable. Yeah, definitely. Um, Spurs fans are in, in dreamland, really, and um, they're encouraged to, to kind of go there by their manager um, after that game against Crystal Palace last Friday, which Spurs came out on top. It means they've had their second best ever start to a season in history. Uh, the last time they bettered their current output of eight wins and two draws from their first 10 fixtures, they won the title in 1961. And, and Poster basically said, let the fans dream because they've been through so much misery and uh, false dawns in, in the previous couple of decades. But um it's what being a football fan is all about, really. And I think Postacoglu understands what being a football fan is about. He understands the game enough to, to add that kind of personal touch and the understanding that fans need something to, to believe in. And, and players do too. And at the moment, he's walking on water. Um, players clearly enjoying that kind of creative freedom and licence he's given them, the responsibilities kind of bestowed on those players as well. And the supporters are enjoying watching this team play with, with hunger and motivation and, and adventure, really. And, uh, you know, the improvements he... Uh, in the players he's inherited as well have kind of been beyond belief really and I guess without European distractions as well they they do stand at a chance of achieving something special this season um, I guess the big challenge will come when they do suffer a, a first defeat a first big hiccup really and um, we'll learn a lot from this side and, and what they're capable of then but um, will it be against Chelsea um, a team they, they traditionally do struggle against and as you say that the return of Pochettino will that have an impact and an influence over this fixture who knows really but um in, ter- in terms of the game, in terms of the, the prices uh, and the bet, um, based on what we've seen in, in 23-24 alone, the eye test, the data, etc. and so on, basically the market is saying Tottenham are just a little bit better than Chelsea at the minute, uh, kind of priced around 2.2, maybe just slightly below that. Now, if these two teams were rated equal, Spurs would be about 2.3 to win this game. So, as you said there, 14 points already between the two teams. And I think whichever way you put it, it's hard to say that these two teams have been quite close together so far this season. Spurs are clearly the better team right now. They've won four on the spin. They are four from four at home. They scored twice or more in nine of ten. Defensively, too, they've been very solid. Um, sure, they've had a bit of a, a bit of a luck in a uh, bit of luck in a few games, particularly the Liverpool match, Sheffield United as well. You could say. Um, but they're playing a Chelsea team who have won just four times in the Premier League and accumulated 18 points since Graham Potter's sacking. Both are league worst figures from ever-present sides. 
And they were getting plaudits and compliments for this kind of mini resurgence before the Brentford game. But that felt like a bit of a banana skin game for Chelsea, especially then when you saw the team sheet and the substitute bench. And look, they played well for a, at least the first half and old issues came to the fore, poor finishing and, you know, just looked um, to unravel defensively there in the last half hour or so. But it's hard to say that they're that close to Tottenham right now, uh, for me at least. Uh, for me, they're still very unconvincing. They're still very untrustworthy. They're still a very young team, lacking direction, cohesion. And, and sure, maybe away from home against a side that don't employ a low block and will will attack them. Maybe they will enjoy having that extra bit of space to, to play their game and and look uh, produce a performance similar to what we saw against Arsenal, uh, Brighton and Burnley, three teams who did attack them. But ultimately, it comes down to price. And I find it hard to believe that Spurs are a 2.2 shot at home to Chelsea right now. Based on what we've seen, based on all the evidence, surely they deserve to be closer to even money to win this fixture. So... But as you say, going back on that intro, this is a match which does provoke many different sort of um, feelings, emotions between supporters and players. Things can escalate quite quickly in this fixture too. So it's not a particularly strong view. I think there are much better bets on the coupon elsewhere. But if I was to be involved in this game, you'd have to be with Tottenham for me, uh, close to 2.2. They are the better team right now. And as you say, 14-point difference. Yeah, the market is saying but they're actually quite close together. Vader, tipster and twice European Street Fighter 2 champion Emmett O'Keefe is on the show. Emmett, we've spoken a lot this season about how good Spurs have been. Chelsea, despite the talent at their disposal, continue to struggle. It's hard to see how they could have managed this whole thing any worse, quite frankly, over the last few months because they brought in a project coach in Graham Potter and didn't give him time, which made no sense. Now Pochettino's gone in there and he's trying to sift through the wreckage of what they've created. Yeah, it's 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 tough because I think that there's been a combination of bad process on Chelsea's part in terms of the scattergun approach, as you said, with the coaches, in terms of the players' signings, in terms of like who's actually signing the players, having multiple directors of football, football executives, Top Oli getting involved. All, all that kind of thing is bad process. But they've also had horrific luck, I would say, and just in terms of the their, their injury list. Their injury list last season was the, in terms of players, the first team squad lost injuries. This was the, they, were, they were the worst in the Premier League. And it's kind of continued again this season. They're missing a whole team of injuries out there main attacking signing was Christopher Nkunku who yeah. we all know oh, how, how you feel about him Kevin I think he's clearly an outstanding footballer and like he injured in pre-season and, the, and they're left kind of relying on Nicholas Jackson to spearhead the attack which just, is just a lot to put on a young player um, and even this season like the reason this the odds are so close here is because by expected points like there is nothing between these teams like the there isn't as in like like it, 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 I know people might be thinking how is that the case well like just Chelsea continually continually miss chances like they they continually to underperform their expected goals and it's kind of and it's kind of this it's the second year in succession you, you thought maybe oh yeah it was a kind of a Kai Havertz so there were other forwards issue last year but they've they've continued on kind of missing way more chances that than they should this season. It's crazy, As, therefore, Emmett. You're absolutely right. But yeah. it's crazy, therefore, they've spent, what is it, over a billion pounds altogether yeah. on putting this squad together. No strikers. I, I know Brogia's been injured. I get that. And they were hoping he would come back. Yeah. I know and Kunku can play in a forward role. But you think of all of the... It didn't seem to me that they even took a swing at an Ossiman or somebody like that to try and beef up that forward line when they're spending, you know, over a hundred million on midfielders 
why wouldn't they take a swing at a centre forward? Yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of. I, I, I don't think. I, I think. I think there may be. They're looking at maybe guys on relatively low wages, and they want to kind of. They did. They, they don't want to pay the premium. I'm guessing the Drossman are probably costing five hundred grand a week. I, I'm guessing that's their thinking. Yeah. But as in, like, I think like if they're going to just sign Jackson, I think they like it would have been better to maybe sign like another development striker as well because just I think that's kind of if you're making a couple of bets on development strikers if one hits then you're then, then you're in a good position but having one young striker is just it's it is too much pressure and too much of a burden falling on Jackson and you're having to try and be play like Raheem Sterling up front or Cole Palmer as a Falstein as you said there it's definitely kind of there's definitely a, a lack of planning and kind of seeing that um and kind of you're seeing that on the pitch just as well in terms of maybe why Tottenham have kind of slightly overperformed their kind of XG numbers this season. One of the reasons is the goalkeeper, um, Vicario, who's actually been outstanding this season. And from the listen, I, I'll, I'll hold my hands up here. I got Tottenham totally wrong in our Clarity Post podcast. I thought there might be, Ange might take a bit of time to bet in. I thought all the players they lost this summer might have a negative impact. But one of the things I probably underestimated was probably how bad Hugo Lloris was last season. Lloris was 13th in the Premier League with a 67% save percentage. And his kind of post-shot expected goals and when his goals allowed in simple terms, kind of what kind of, inter- like what number of goals would he have been expected to say based on the, on the shots Tottenham, the, on the sh- shots Tottenham faced, like he was Again, similarly below average in that metric. And this season, Vicario is he's the best save percentage in the league at eighty three percent, and his kind of and his and his advanced numbers are have him second in the league as well. So they've had a massive upgrade in the goalkeeping position. So he, which you kind of probably need in the post Coglu style, which by its very nature will always give up chances and maybe give up give up give up one on ones playing playing kind of a high line. But kind of playing into that, yeah, like I, I think this will be quite a high scoring game. Like 60% of Tottenham's matches this season have gone over two and a half goals. And, and I think Chelsea, are, I was saying this for a long time, Chelsea are due a bit of luck in terms of their finishing. Their matches are averaging over over three over three expected goals this season as well. I just think, I, I think the, the nature of the game and the way Spurs play, it's just very hard to see this, this this not being an open game. And I do think Chelsea's kind of pacey forwards will enjoy playing against playing in space. That that that, 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 that Tottenham will give them. So I think this will be a really exciting game. And both teams to score over two and a half goals and the bet builders at one eighty six makes a bit of appeal. And just one more statistic I think is worth noting. Again, I question kind of James Madison coming into the season. I was looking today in terms of the key passes statistic. He's number one in the. Premier League like traditionally that would be kind of a statistic that would be owned by the likes of Kevin De Bruyne Grealish uh, Bruno Fernandes but Madison's number one and I think that's again one of the one of the reasons Spurs have been so strong this year yeah, he's going to kind of reveal a kind of screw you Emmett kind of message I think if he scores uh, in the Premier League later this season Chelsea's transfer policy all over the place. Our transfer policy spot on. Our new signing in the starting side again, betting.betfair.com's Al Boys is with us. Al, we talk a lot in football about coaches needing time to bed down their philosophy. They need time to build a team, maybe multiple transfer windows. Along comes Big Ange and makes us all seem a bit silly. It does, and it's just been a joy to watch, hasn't it? I think, you know, we don't even need to look at the data side of things just to enjoy what he's like off the pitch, the way he handles himself, the way he's spearheaded the club, you know, kind of taking charge of everything on and off the field. And it's just a delight to listen to him. 
I mean, he was great at Celtic. Everyone loved, you know, they were devastated when he left up there. There was no way the reaction that kind of Brendan Rodgers got when he left. I know that was more mid-season, but there was real love there, you know, for what he'd done to Celtic and what he's done at all of his all of his kind of jobs so far. And he's brought that straight down to the Premier League. So he's been an absolute credit to himself. He's made the Premier League better, in my opinion. Um, and he just seems like a normal bloke that you want to go for a beer with. And he's a fantastic football manager with great ideas as well. So he's been a great addition to the Premier League. For this game, I was doing some research, going back to that Battle of the Bridge that you mentioned at the top, Kev. And um, there was 12 yellow cards in that game. So that was that's a record in a single Premier League game. I was thinking if you had this season's kind of rules around bookings, ball in play, the extra kind of scrutiny the refs are under to, to card players, how many players would have been booked if that game happened this all time of around? Honestly, you look at, look at some of the highlights and they're all surrounding Mark Clattenburg. They'd have booked every one of them. Um, I was actually I thought it was quite interesting. I don't care to guess which current Tottenham player was one of the only two Tottenham outfielders not to be booked for Spurs that day. Eight, oh, wow. eight of their ten outfield starters were booked, which is crazy. And two, one of them still plays. Well, oh. Mark looks ever so confused there. Emmett's working it through. Who could it be? Son would be my guess. It is. Oh, yeah, of course. Son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's was... usually got a bit of needle about him, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's always thing with Son. I feel like, oh, I don't know what his like card record is, but even when he got sent off for that, kind of horror tackle on um, Gomez for Everton. That was rescinded. So I feel like he's, he's a bit of a nice guy. So like he almost, he almost want to cradle him when he gets in trouble rather than book him. Um, it was Son and Toby Alderweireld that day who didn't get booked. But yeah, eight out of 10 starters were carded, which is which is crazy. And I think we're going to see a bit of a pattern here. I think it could be um, a card-heavy game. You know, to more recent times, both sides have got 30 yellows and one red this season. That's the uh, joint second most behind Wolves. So um, they actually don't commit the most fouls, though. So Wolves have the most yellows and commit the most fouls per game. But Tottenham and Chelsea are way down the list, like 10th and 15th for fouls per game. So maybe there's a discipline issue at the club. We might need a, a mediator in there, like Mark O'Hare, just to, with the soft tones, just to go in and calm everything down. At, no, he likes a bit of violence. <laughs> no, he'd be g'ing them up. He'd have had a card bet. So he'd be the one kind of pushing yeah, them up. Go on, eat him. Go on. Need more of this, yeah. lads. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, uh, just to just to finish, Kev. So, fifteen of Chelsea's yellows have come in their four away games. Fourteen of Tottenham's thirty have come in their four home games. So, even the mere fact that Spurs are at home and Chelsea are away kind of gives us an even higher chance based on the data that there's going to be plenty of cards here. So, um, not sure what you'll give me, Emmett, but over five and a half cards is something I would take a look at, and potentially even doubling up over two and a half each. And I'm also going to name a double. I'm going to name and shame a double. You know, Nicholas Jackson. He's already been suspended for five yellows this season, two of which he didn't even register a foul in the game, by the way. So you kind of know what streak he's got. He's going to be in a 90-minute battle with Christian Romero. Now, Romero isn't quite going at the same foul and booking rate as, as last season. If we're being clear, he's actually been fantastic. You know, one of Postacoglu's vice captains, which maybe was a bit of a surprise at first because we all, from the outside, thought this hot-headed guy who potentially could have been moved on, but he's been fantastic and I think the running of Jackson and the willingness to get him behind could make this one of Romero's toughest games, a real proper battle between two really kind of intense players. Um, however, I can just see them squaring up to each other. So I'll be pining on the sofa when they decide whether to headbutt one another and both get flashed to yellow. Yeah, it is one of the most remarkable achievements Postacoglu has had so far to rein in that absolute madman. 
Christian Romero. So far, he's behaving, but it's early days in the season. Now, injury time goals can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets. And now you've got 90-minute payouts to rescue you if the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands. Your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18plusbgambleaware.org. Let's head to Spain now. Emmett, you've got a pick from La Liga. Yeah, it's kind of a, a kind of a tip, a tip we've uh, gave earlier in the season with with some success. So returning to it here, it's kind of hostile to score for Real Madrid. Yes, so for the listeners, so legends. Yeah, exactly. Yes. If the listeners maybe aren't aren't familiar with Hostelu's work. He was kind of signed this season as a kind of a bridge striker for, in terms of like he's 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 a journey, he's, he's kind of a journeyman La Liga striker. But the idea is that he'll he'll play for Real Madrid in the kind of in the kind of lesser La Liga matches and kind of be a bridge until obviously they um they hope Kylian Kili, Kili Mbappe will come next season and Brit- don't um, need him now got Hosseley they got Hosseley yeah and the, the Jude Belling as well playing as a false nine so they're in a the Real are in a good spot for the future um but in Real will have Champions League on um on next Wednesday. So for this kind of Sunday game against lowly opposition, Osasuna, I'd expect Hoslu to play and then not play in the Champions League. In his five La Liga starts this season, Hoslu has scored in all in all five matches and he's also missed a penalty. So it, it, it could even have been more... And I just think I think getting getting him on even money feels feels like more than fair. I think I expect Real to blow Osasuna away and Hossa to get plenty of chances. Well, the thing is, he's been a regular scorer in La Liga for rubbish teams. So you yeah. put him in that Real Madrid team with all of that quality around him, and he's going to get goals uh, down to the second tier in Spain with Marco Herrera. I don't think we've had Cartagena on the pod before, have we? I don't think so, no, but um, good chance to to get involved with them because it's bottom versus top on Sunday evening in the Segunda. Cartagena uh, have won just once in 13. They've lost nine of those 13 games. Their home record this season reads six defeats from six. Uh, if you look at their points tally, they've earned six, five of which came against teams inside the bottom six. So they picked up one point from 10 matches against teams outside of the bottom six, yet to their favourites here against league-leading Leganes. Um which is quite a puzzle. Sorry, when you what? Look at the... They're favourites, <laughs> did you say? They are favourites to win this game on Sunday night, which is um, very strange. Uh, I've checked out the underlying numbers. Obviously, I don't get to see these two teams play regularly in Segunda, but um, yeah, something doesn't seem right quite here. The market's starting to move towards Leganes, and quite rightly so. They are top of the table. Uh, they have won nine of 13 overall. They have been beaten three times, but they've tabled top honours in four of six away days. They've also won their last three games across all venues. They've kept four successive clean sheets and overall they've kept eight clean sheets from 13, conceding just five goals in total. Uh, and they are away record at teams in the bottom six. Uh, sorry, not their away record. Their overall record against bottom six teams is five wins from five, including five clean sheets as well. So you can back Leganes plus zero on the Asian handicap at 2.2. Zero two, uh, so better than evens for Leganes. Draw no bet away at the bottom team. As I say, it's bottom versus top. It's quite hard to kind of get your head around here. Uh, and if you want something bigger, you can back Leganes to win to nil, which comes in at a really meaty price. As I say, they've conceded just five goals in thirteen games this season, and are top of the table against a team who have been routinely poor against the better teams in the division. 
seems utterly bizarre. See, this is why you listen to this show, folks, because you get this kind of thing where you have some very odd market moves that you can hopefully take advantage of. Cue the 5-0 win for Cartagena. Uh, finally, to the championship, Norwich, a club in crisis, it would seem. Al, they've got Blackburn this weekend, and I suspect you don't think it's going to get any better for the Canaries. Yeah, I don't think it is, Kevin. I think um, David Wagner might be on the way out very, very soon. You know, so they started with 10 points from four games. Great start to the season. But since the beginning of September, only QPR, sorry, Mark, and Chef Wednesday have picked up fewer points over those 10 games. It's They're in the bottom three relegation form in that time. And the underlying data suggests there's not been much bad luck in there either. So Wagner looks like a bit of a dead man walking. And from what I've seen and what I've, heard it could be curtains for him if if they do lose here you know Norwich not typically a sacking club in recent years but they're quite a data-driven club and I think that might be his downfall over the actual results to be honest um only Rotherham now have a higher expected goals against than Norwich yes Mark theirs is higher than QPR's maybe that should just be the <laughs> litmus test like do you have a higher ex- expected goals yeah. against than QPR if yes there's the door are you worse than QPR? That's the question. It's usually so, you having this kind of, you know, therapy yeah, so, about QPR. New dawn, isn't it? We've got Marty Suentes in now, so it all's changed. Honestly, okay. Mark, I said that is my final dig, and I think we're all team Marty, so don't worry. I was just highlighting from the outside how bad it's actually got for Norwich rather than anti-QPR. But Blackburn, they've got the fifth highest XG, and only four sides have a better away form. They've got such a great, like, young, fluid attack as well with Tyree Stolen, Sammy Smoddix, Rankin Costello. Um, Leeds went there a couple of weeks ago and really hurt Norwich on the counter and in transition, despite going 2-0 down. So I just think in the way kind of Norwich approach games, I see this playing right into you know, John Dal Thomason's hands. You know, I think if they were playing Leicester at home and they adopted a more kind of defensive approach because it was the league leaders that might suit Norwich better right now funnily enough enough to say so I like over 1.5 Blackburn goals at odds against that's 5-4 to and I also like over 2.5 Blackburn goals which is 9-2 to and I think if the latter comes in I think Wagner could be uh, down the job centre come come Monday He's had a bad run actually obviously did really well with Huddersfield but he was pretty hopeless over the piece at Schalke didn't do particularly well at Young Boys in Switzerland and they're really struggling at Norwich as well. That's all we have time for, sadly, on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Remember, all of our shows are on Betfair's new YouTube channel for non-racing content, so make sure you like and subscribe. We've got a special European preview coming up in a couple of days' time as well. From Al, from Mark, from Emmett, and from me, it's goodbye for now.